Hello, I'm Amy from Vienna and I'm a Thronesy. I'm Tamara, I'm from Minnesota and I'm a Potterhead. I'm Zoe, I'm from France and I'm a Thronecoat. I'm Carla from Melbourne and I'm a Murderino. I'm AJ, I live in Wasaga Beach, Canada and I am part of the Supernatural family. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. And this is the Fandom Based Life Podcast. A podcast that explores and celebrates fandoms and the communities and friendships they create. Friendships that <laughs> translate into middle of the night recording uh, sessions. Yeah, so it's extra super duper late. Um, in London, it is almost two in the morning. Uh, in good old Massachusetts. It's quarter of nine, but in mom time, it's almost two in the morning. <laughs> That's fair. And we're both sounding our best right now. You've got a bit of a, an illness, <laughs> a disease of Ill. some description. Um, and I, my voice is a little rough because I was living our original fandom-based life this oh week. Oh, my God. So it's I, like it's come full circle. It has. So I got to go see the Foo Fighters, our good old Dave and Co. Uh, live at the O2 this week, which was incredible. It got such good reviews. I'm so psyched that you got to be there. Yeah. I mean, there were some. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it's funny. I haven't seen the Foo's in a long time. How long? Uh, <laughs> Well, I was corrected because I had originally thought, I, p I made a Facebook post the next day and I was like, Foo Fighters are like the last of the great rock and roll bands. Like, I don't care how uncool you think they are. Totally rad. And I was like, they're just as anthemic and amazing and epic as they were when I saw them a decade ago last. And then a friend commented like, oh my God, it's been a decade since you've seen them. Like, happy reunion. And I was like, yeah, girl, Edgefest 98. And she was like, uh, you really don't want to be this guy, but that's two decades ago. <laughs> math I was like, is so oh hard. my God. I'm, it's, but it, I don't know if it was just math. It was just like not really thinking and then thinking like, surely two decades. That's impossible. That's impossible. We're not old enough to have not done something in two decades. No, like it's impossible that the last time I saw Foo Fighters was 20 years ago. Oh my lord. But in fact, it is because I was 10. <laughs> so. <laughs> Watching the carpool karaoke today oh my God. brought out like a, a ferocious, feral side of my fangirl nature that <laughs> I haven't seen in a while. I was Feral. so, oh God, it was so amazing. Just like reigniting all those old feelings. So good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's something else. I think definitely old feelings were stirred. Um, in, in typical fandom-based style, I was live updating Sarah the whole time with videos and messages and videos of me singing along to things. And then I was like, we should totally write fan fiction about these guys. That's a good idea. Why haven't we ever done that? Yeah, I think we should try that sometime. Yeah, Might be a hit. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we could really take off from there. Yeah, I just think good things would come of it. You know, like friendships. Yeah. <laughs> and podcasts. 
Yeah. Um, hey, speaking of friendships in podcasts, um, do we want to tell our listeners the origin behind our podcast name? <laughs> mm-hmm. Excuse me while I take a little sippy of my wine, because it's two in the morning and that's what you do. Uh, yeah, I think it's very appropriate that we explain our name tonight. Uh, it is a bit of an awkward name for a podcast. <laughs> best name for a podcast. I mean, it is the best name, but it's the best name because it's born of a bit of an inside joke. I don't know if you want to tell the story or if I can tell the story. I'll start. Okay. I'll definitely start. You can jump in. I drive a lot for work, and because I have the best friend on the planet, Allison, reads me uh, fan fiction while I'm in the car. We prefer to use the voice note feature on the Facebook Messenger app. So she'll be reading out loud to me, and I'll be listening to it while I'm in the car driving. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day, we stumbled upon a, uh, a a Benedict Cumberbatch fan fiction on Wattpad. And uh, I'll let Allison take it from here. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who has dipped their toe in the deep, deep, deep waters of fan fiction will know that not all fan fiction is written to the standard of, you know, say, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to keep this relevant. So uh, there are some very young writers, there are some very inexperienced writers, there are some writers where English isn't their first language. So, so sometimes there is fic that is you know sometimes it's bad we all know bad fic exists we will probably have to do an episode specifically on bad fic because it is a thing but sarah and i have we sometimes like to goof around and find the cheesiest funniest strangest most bizarre scenarios we can find in fan fiction to read to each other to make each other there's no shortage of it there's no shortage of it uh, and we are certainly not going to shame anyone on this podcast. It's it's not something we're after. We think that writing fan fiction is amazing. And I personally think that, you know, if you are putting pen to paper or finger to keyboard and writing a fan fiction instead of, you know, I don't know, doing, doing something. Crack. Instead of doing crack, then you are <laughs> doing well. So with that giant caveat, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I one day, did I find it? Oh, yeah. I think I found it. Oh, shit. Okay. You did. Um, so I found a fan fiction about Benedict Cumberbatch. I actually don't have it in front of me. I should have had it in front of me, but I think I can remember it almost verbatim. We often oh. just read each other synopses. Just just that is often enough. And in this case, it was. Although we did read most of this fic, and it was pretty great. <laughs> it was very it was extreme. So um, but basically, I remember reading Sarah the synopses, and we were just like, what? Basically, it's something like um, the character's name was Ryan, which I always love a guy's name for a girl. Great name. So it was uh, Ryan was just a regular girl living a regular fandom-based life. And I remember at that point stopping and being like, what the heck is a fandom-based life? What is a fandom-based life? And we were laughing our heads off. And then we very quickly stopped and realized, oh, shit, 
that's our life. <laughs> We're living a fandom based <laughs> life. We're just regular girls living a regular fandom based life. Just regular girls living regular fandom based life. Um, I believe that fan fiction synopsis went on to say that uh, until one day, her friend Tom Hiddleston t- invited her to a dance. And where she met. She met. <laughs> Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. I believe she met him by, she was dancing with Tom, and he purposely he twirled, twirled her. her. <laughs> and she spun away and ran into Benedict. I mean, that's a meet. But cute. Tom had like they choreographed it. Yeah, they planned it For that sure. way. It. I honestly, yeah. that's one of our favorite fictions. So we're not even talking smack. We're about not it. We're, because we we're read it, and, it was, and we talk about this fiction to this day. This is like a, probably at least a year ago we found this. Because it indulges without hesitation all of the sweet little things that you always wish that would happen to you. Oh, when yeah, you're like it's a like the innocence. It's, it's the innocence so of youth encapsulated. Like, you know, there's talk of like building pillow forts and having food fights, popcorn fights. Uh, you know, jealous and I, fans and I punching love her in the that face. Sh- yeah, the fans. Are- Punch her face. Remember, she got pregnant the second that they had intercourse, too. Yeah, she lost her virginity and immediately got pregnant. Like, went into the bathroom, came back out, and was pregnant. Yeah. So good. It's just so sweet. And It is. So sweet and innocent. Yeah. And it's so great that, like, he's so appealing to <laughs> women of all ages. <laughs> Cumber babes come in all shapes and sizes all and ages. All shapes and sizes. Um... Um, <laughs> uh, do we want so to, good. is there anything else we need to touch on before we dive into this, this Yeah, episode? I got, um, I wanted to tell you this amazing story about, um, my sister, Amanda. Oh my God. Um, has been listening to our podcast mm-hmm. and it's igniting some deep, deep hidden <laughs> fandom based tendencies that she didn't know that she had oh my god um everything so she's she starts texting me early one morning she had just woken up and she starts texting me immediately that she had the most amazing dream about joey mcintyre from new kids on the block (laughs) go on (laughs) who was her her first like fandom-based love that was her first like celebrity crush like that was her you first love you never forget your first mm. love right mm-hmm. um and she's not a to this day like a new kids on the block fan a- anymore like this was something that she's removed happened herself when from she was little fandom. she's moved on right so she starts telling me about this amazing dream where she goes to a new kids on the block concert and joey sees her and later on they meet up somehow and he says something like i you know, I noticed you before, and and then all of a sudden, you know how dreams are kind of strange, I guess. Like, then they were together, uh-huh. and they went and told the other guys and the new kids on the block that they were together, and she was so in love and so happy, and they were walking down a hallway together, and they ran into their future selves. What? <laughs> that were older, and they were still together, and, and I, I think, like, the future selves were kind of showing them that they were going to have this amazing love story and have this great life together. And she, so when she woke up, she was like, she just kept saying, 
It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. So she had this amazingly <laughs> beautiful, touching, lovely fangirl dream about Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block. And what you're telling me is she never would have had this beautiful, beautiful dream if it wasn't for us? I don't think so. I think that there's some sort of like subliminal, we could be awakening like long buried fangirls <laughs> all over the world with this podcast. Oh my God. If this happens to you, please tell us because that's incredible. Yes, please. We want to hear all about your fangirl dreams. I was not aware of our powers. Um, uh, and then mm-hmm. also my family, apparently we're all fangirls. Some of us are just a little bit more louder and prouder than the others because I think my mom went out and bought a Gronking to remember. No. <laughs> After the episode, she, oh she said, what's the name of the book? Where can I get it? And I, was, I said, no, I'm not telling you. I don't want you to have this Rob Gronkowski porn book. And she said, no, I got to show it to the ladies at the gym. Okay. Can we please have your mom as a guest on an episode where she reviews a Gronking to remember? Yes. Okay. Mom? Mom, this is what we want for Christmas. Welcome to Fandom Base Life. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, And on that note, I'm going to take a nice hearty sip of wine because we should probably start in on today's... I have to tell you the most amazing thing in the world that I promised that I was going to tell you today. (gasps) Okay. Yeah. Is now the time? I want to make sure that your airway is clear, so drink your wine. Oh, God. Am I going to do something? I was on... (laughs) I'm taking two I was doing some... Oh, my God. Okay. Last minute research for the episode today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, uh, once again, reading about people having intercourse in outer space. <laughs> and I, again, somewhat against my will, <clears throat> but I stumbled a- a- across this link. And I clicked the link. And the link brought me to... Um, www.audiofic.gingerly.com Okay. And as I stared at my screen, a realization began to wash over me. Uh-huh. This is a website that has fan fictions and people read them out loud and they upload them to this website for your listening Shut pleasure. the front door. It's fan fiction audiobooks oh it exists can we get this in on this life. can just anyone do it do you, we can do people anyone read other people's it? fanfics or are they reading their yep. own works shut the front door yep. again yep shut the back door shut all the doors shut all the doors open them run to the computer <laughs> go to www.audiofic.jinjurly.com this will be on the blog oh my god and uh, and you're welcome. I I cannot believe you actually waited until now to tell me this. Have you been? I had to stop myself, and I had to put it out of my mind, because this is this is our dream, is our raison d'être. This is our reason for existing. <laughs> oh my God! This is what we really wanted to do originally with this <laughs> with our lives. Well, well, that's it, guys. We're quitting, and we'll see you over there reading fan fiction. Yeah, check us time. out on audiofic.gingerly.com wow. slash fandombaselife. I'm so amazed. All right, so the only place to go from here is right into Sherlock fucking Holmes. Okay, so... Let's do it. 
I'm, I'm in. So I guess I will begin with a brief, I mean, we're talking, this all started in the 1800s. I am not going to go into a huge, huge. Like a four-part podcast. Yeah. If we did. I'm not going to give you a full history lesson. There's an incredible sort of uh, spoken word, almost rap history bomb, it is called, um, that I posted to our Facebook page recently that gives you like really very an entertaining history of Sherlock Holmes, um, which will be more entertaining than what I'm about to do, but I'm going to do my best. But if you want something more, definitely check that out. Um, so once upon a time, <laughs> a, a young Allison Conan Doyle, <laughs> once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away called Edinburgh, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle came into this world. It was the year 1859. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to go into his childhood, um, but he was not always a writer. So anyone that's listening you probably know who Arthur Conan Doyle is now Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um, so he was actually a doctor by trade so he went to university um, to become a doctor uh, not in any way a writer but while he was studying at Edinburgh University from 1876 to 1881 uh, he did begin to write so he wrote some fiction but he also wrote um, medical articles and educational kind of things as well uh, both of which he had some success in publishing. Um, but it turned out the medical profession was not meant to be Doyle's calling. Uh, as uh, after he had graduated, he tried to start his own medical practice, which didn't go very well, and later uh, attempted to become an ophthalmologist. And that also kind of crashed and burned. So, you know... Just being a doctor wasn't for him. Luckily, he happened to also be a great writer. He wrote a story called A Study in Scarlet. Now, this story was the first story to introduce the characters of Sherlock Holmes, the world's one and only consulting detective, and his brother-in-arms, Dr. John Watson. Uh, it was a story about how they met. He wrote it in three weeks in 1886. No big deal. Uh, and it was published in 1887 in the Beaton's Christmas Annual. Uh, and it got some positive reviews, but it wasn't a raving success. But it was enough for them to request him to write a little more about those characters. So Doyle had based Sherlock Holmes on Dr. Joseph Bell. So this was a real surgeon and teacher that he studied with in uh, at Edinburgh University. And Dr. Bell apparently had the uncanny ability to reveal a patient's symptoms and diagnose patients and report on their, um, their symptoms origins before they would speak a word to them about what was going on. So this is kind of where the seed was planted for our favorite consulting detective. There was also, um, uh, and stop me if, if you were going to uh, report on this too. God, no, get in there. Um, Sir Henry Littlejohn, who was the chair of medical jurisprudence at the University of Edinburgh, medical school and he was also a police surgeon and medical officer oh. so he helped link along with bell medical to investigative and um detective work and solving of crimes huh i did not know that 
So over time, um, Conan Doyle wrote 56 self-contained short stories and four novels, so 60 adventures in total, many of which, especially the later ones, were published in The Strand, which was a monthly magazine that featured works of short fiction and general interest articles. So the popularity of the consulting de detective and his faithful friend grew, and Doyle became one of the highest paid authors of his time. Uh, however, this was in part due to him raising his prices in an attempt to discourage people from requesting more stories. He was <laughs> just tired of Sherlock. He had, he really did have a love-hate relationship with with Sherlock. Yeah, I think he even, like, uh, there's, uh, I think I read something about he had written something to his mother about wanting to kill Sherlock, and she's like, you wouldn't dare, you, you couldn't dare do it, don't do it. So, like, even his mom was, like, one of the original fans. She's like, you can't do this. Um, I think part of him really wanted to be, like, a serious writer. He, he did, did have a foray into, uh, you know, historical fiction, mm -hmm. but nobody nobody cared. Everyone just wanted Sherlock I Holmes, and of course... love that character. And Sherlock's paying the bills... Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, what are you going to do? Can't look a gift horse in the mouth, but he, so he really kind of was at odds with this, with this character that he created. So unfortunately, as we all probably know, uh, spoiler alert, he killed Sherlock. <laughs> Dead. So, uh, in December of 1893, he had had enough of the detective. And, uh, so he had Holmes and Professor Moriarty, his nemesis, uh, plunged to their deaths down the Reichenbach Falls in the story, The Final Problem. Uh, so there's a quote from him. He said, I have had such an overdose of him that I feel towards him as I do towards pâté de foie gras, of which I once ate too much, so that the name of it gives me a sickly feeling to this day. So he felt he felt the way we all do when we indulge in something. I think we all probably have like an, an alcohol, you know, where when we were young, we decided like I'm going to drink seven bottles of strawberry wine. And now I never want to drink that again. This is not a true story about me, but, you know, it's one of those things like one time I ate too much. And now I, I threw up Corona out it. my nose one time. So I don't like Corona. Anymore. I love Corona. All right, that's fine. We won't go to Mexico on our fan-based holidays. Did you? Yeah. Do you mind if I pop in with a fun fact about uh, Sydney Paget, who illustrated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Please talk about Sydney Paget, because I am not going to. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, Sydney Paget illustrated um, Sherlock Holmes stories mm -hmm. for the Strand magazine, and it's because of his works uh, that appeared alongside these stories that we have this image of, you know, Sherlock. Arthur Conan Doyle never wrote that Sherlock wore a deerstalker or um, the Inverness cape. Paget just, you know, drew those in when he was illustrating. So just an interesting fact that I love um, mm -hmm. that we get to give Sidney Paget some credit for that. Yeah, dude. Take your credit. Shout out. He's like, thanks. Um, so... So he killed Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I can understand it, but what he wasn't expecting was the backlash that he would face for doing that. From, from his fandom. From his fandom. So as we touched on in the 
second episode? Was it the fanspeak episode? Um, the earliest fandom on record uh, is the Sherlock Holmes fandom. So after he killed Sherlock, more than 20,000 Strand readers canceled their subscriptions because they were outraged by his premature demise. So the magazine actually barely survived, and its staff started to refer to Holmes' death as the dreadful event, (laughs) which is depressing. So outrage readers were writing to the magazine in protest. Uh, They were calling Arthur Conan Doyle a brute. Uh, Americans started a a Let's Keep Holmes Alive clubs. Um, But Conan Doyle stuck to his guns in the face of the protest and he called the death a justifiable homicide. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this is the thing, is that fans had never done anything like this before then. So in fact, they weren't even called fans yet. The term, uh, which as we know is short for fanatic, had only recently begun um, use in reference to American baseball enthusiasts. So yeah, readers, you know, generally readers accept what goes on in their favorite books, uh, and then they moved on. But now they were beginning to take their popular culture really personally and they wanted, you know, their characters and their their favorite works to conform to certain expectations they had. And and this is kind of this is what the fandom fandoms do today. You know, there's this sort of reciprocity like we're giving so much, we're taking so much, but we're, you know, like we we expect that things are going to go a certain way for us and, and we get really personally involved and offended or upset or excited when things happen. Um, So it took eight years, but by 1901, public pressure grew so great that Conan Doyle wrote a news story, The Hound of the Baskervilles, which featured Holmes before his fall. And then in 1903, in The Adventure of the Empty House, he went one step further and resurrected Holmes with the explanation that only Moriarty had died in the fall while Holmes had faked his own death and fans rejoiced. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. He brought him back from the dead and everyone calmed the bleep down. (laughs) Sort of. So that is, you know, the kind of uh, the origins of Sherlock Holmes, this beloved character that has remained so for so so many years the origin of fandom in many ways um another fun thing that i love about arthur conan doyle Mm -hmm. is he was um a huge fan of edgar Allan poe and edgar Allan poe had a detective uh one of the first i guess literary detectives uh if not the first and it was a character by the name of c auguste dupin and that also um, kind of gave Arthur Conan Doyle the inspiration to write his detective novels. Um, they had a show on, God, I can't remember what channel it was on, maybe like TNT here in the States. And it was called um, Houdini and Doyle. And it only lasted a season, and I watched it every week. I loved this show. I loved um, it, so it was Arthur Conan Doyle, who was in his real life friends with the um, famous illusionist Harry Houdini. So they were real life friends. He was they friends with a had... lot of extremely interesting people. Yes. He had some really cool friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so this show 
kind of took a, a spin on their friendship and had them solving crimes together <laughs> in London. Uh, Harry did a stint, I guess, in London. And so, so um, Harry Houdini was played by Michael Weston, who I love and who needs a show and a fandom of his own. I really had hoped that this was going to be his big break, but unfortunately they canceled it after the first season. Oh. And Stephen... Mangan plays Arthur Conan Doyle and it was a really cute show where they would like solve crimes and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle always wanted it to be like a supernatural reason for the crime and Harry Houdini was always kind of like the pragmatic person trying to debunk all the supernatural things for the crimes. So it's Mulder and uh, Scully. Yeah. Way. It was it was really good and apparently I'm the only one who thought so. <laughs> You're the one person that watched it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I also, I didn't want to go too far into Arthur Conan Doyle because we have so much to cover. Um, but I have kept hearing about him cropping up on different podcasts I've been listening to about um, sort of unexplained, well, there's a podcast called Unexplained, uh, and uh, kind of supernaturally podcast because he was actually, um, later in life, he was very into spiritualism. I think he got into it after his son died. And so he he was one of these kind of early believers in, in mediums and uh, life after death and and kind of interesting, spooky stuff like that, and which is stuff I'm really drawn to. So I thought that was kind of cool that he was part of these spiritualist societies. Um, he was so I think Houdini may have been involved thought... in that too. Who was that? Houdini? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Houdini had a hard time getting over the fact that his mother passed away and was always trying to contact her. Um, But what's kind of weird and creepy is towards the end, Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini had this falling out and they stopped being friends because um, Arthur thought that Houdini was really magic and that it wasn't really illusions. Like towards the end of their friendship, he believed that Harry Houdini was just pure magic and Harry could not convince him otherwise. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Want to talk about the movies? ACD. Let's, let's talk about film adaptations. So I would just like to kick this off by saying that apparently Sherlock Holmes is the most filmed fictional character. Hands down. So according to IMDb, Holmes has appeared in 226 films. And been played by dozens of different actors since the advent of cinema. Um, that is only if you in, uh, if you don't include non-humans or partial humans. Because <laughs> Dracula's been filmed a lot. Dracula. <laughs> so he has, Dracula has actually been filmed and featured in films more than Holmes. But Holmes is the so most filmed human. Yeah. It's the most filmed human character. Fic- human. <laughs> the most filmed fictional human character ever ever fully human <laughs> uh the first known film featuring uh sherlock holmes was a one real film it was less than a minute and it was made in 1900 and it was a silent film wasn't it it was a silent film yeah and then weren't there there was a series of films uh, yes. Later yes. in the um, 1900s, so like in the 30s? Yeah, 1939 to 1946. Um, 
that was uh, all portrayed by Basil Rathbone, who has probably um, portrayed Holmes more than any other actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had and like he's, the deerstalker and the pipe and the spyglass, yes. and that was kind of like he became the visual icon. Right. He is Sherlock Holmes. When you think of you know the vintage Sherlock, the you're classic. picturing Basil Rathbone. Awesome. Uh, I would love to just jump right ahead to the Robert Downey Jr. masterpieces, if we could. We can do that. Okay, let's just, we are aware that there is more than that. There have been a lot of films. (laughs) Sherlock is a very popular character. Well, let's get to Robert Downey Jr., shall we? Let's just get right to him. How do you feel about the Robert Downey Jr. films, Sarah? I know what the reality of the Robert Downey Jr. films are, <laughs> and I don't care. I They're my guilty pleasure. I love them. I just, I'm such a Sherlock fan anyway, and I, I could, I would enjoy watching Robert Downey Jr. like eat a steak or clip his nails oh. or mow the lawn. Like he, that man, I would watch that man do literally Butter some toast. Anything. Butters and oh my god! I I would like to watch Robert Downey Jr. butter some toast. <laughs> Hashtag fandom based bucket list. It's <laughs> a bit long, but oh, he just is so everything about him. There's just everything. I don't even have to break it down further than that. He just is so great, and then to have you know, I, I up until this point, I think that. Uh, for me, Watson had always been like a portly, mustachioed, bespectacled kind of doctor that was always waddling after Sherlock Holmes. And to have Jude Law, who also could butter my toast anytime <laughs> he wanted to, um, portray Dr. Watson and their kind of bromance that Holmes and Watson always have was. I loved it. That's fair. How about you? Um, so I've only seen the first one. Confession, oh and I liked it, but I really wanted to like it more than I liked it, because I also love Robert Downey Jr. a great deal, and I would also probably let Jude Law butter my toast. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, but I just I didn't love it as much as I love the big thing that everyone's waiting for us to start talking about. Um, Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller, right? <laughs> Lucy Liu. So many people just turned the podcast off. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, no, I really, really wanted to love it. But um, somebody had said something or I'd seen something somewhere that I kind of agreed with. Where it, it was very American. Like it was very, they made rude. it like an action film. It's rude. It Sorry. was an action film. <laughs> Sorry, you're American. I'm not American. <laughs> but you funny. know what I mean? It was like there was explosions and it was very and obviously Robert Down Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Is that his name? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> obviously our, Robert our, Downey our DJ. Jr. Um is Robert. American. Uh obviously he put on a British accent, but you know, we know him so well that, that maybe people struggled with that a bit. Uh, so overall I enjoyed it, but I, I do think that there have been better versions. Yes, absolutely. It's not a great movie, but I love it so much. I own both of them on DVD. 
Fair. That's fair. You're allowed to own them. I, I Like I said, I enjoyed it. I will watch the second one. But there are certain other... <laughs> Why do you keep, like, teasing like nobody knows what I'm talking about? Shh, don't, certain don't, other don't things, spoil it, Allison. Certain other TV don't shows like House, for example. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to talk modern-day interpretations of Sherlock Holmes, we mustn't brush over the fact that House... Uh, is a huge nod. It's a, it's a very big homage to Holmes. I've never heard that, and I've never thought that. And Seriously? I, I'm going to have to digest that one for a little bit. All right. Let's talk about it for a second. You've watched House. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dr. Gregory House, our friend, uh, is sort of like a medical Sherlock Holmes. Um, and this has been acknowledged by the series creator, David Shore. I mean, if you think about it, he relies a lot on psychology to solve a case. Um, he doesn't want to accept cases he doesn't find interesting. He has a drug addiction. Um, mm. His home address, which I didn't realize, is apartment 221B, <laughs> apparently. Uh, he has a complete <laughs> disregard for social mores. Uh, Personal, uh, he has personal talents. He plays uh, piano and guitar, much like Holmes played violin. Um, and he has the same characteristic ability to judge a situation correctly with almost no effort. So, yeah, it's in a lot of ways, it is a it was a modern day homage to Sherlock Holmes, which I thought was really wow, interesting. I've learned something, learning every podcast, learning Yay. more, growing. I taught you learning. a fandom based lesson. Fandom based fact. Um, do you want to talk about the other, well, one of the other television shows? Um, I feel like we have to at least acknowledge that this show exists because I think it has a fandom. Which show is that? Elementary. Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> yeah, let's acknowledge Elementary. Um, I don't know anything about it. I know that Dr. Watson is a, a, a woman, played by Lucy Liu. <clears throat> so Johnny Lee Miller is Sherlock and Lucy Liu is Joan Watson. Joan. She's a doctor. Okay. Uh, I googled the synopsis uh-huh. and <clears throat> it is as follows. Holmes is a recovering drug addict and former consultant to Scotland Yard. As he assists the New York Police Department in solving crimes, he is accompanied by Dr. Joan Watson who initially acts as his sober companion. She is a former surgeon and was hired by Sherlock's father to help him in his rehabilitation. They eventually began working together on cases, and she becomes Holmes' apprentice. Interesting. And I have heard, I I did a little reading on it. Obviously, I haven't watched it, so I have no opinion. But there is a huge following to this show. People really like this show and they like this interpretation, but a lot of people also don't. I think this fandom seems to be very passionate about their views. Some are very passionate about canon. Some are very passionate about fanon. Um, And so from what I understand, they were elementary fans were getting so much flack from some Sherlockians that they kind of created their own tag on Tumblr so they could have a safe space to be. <laughs> um, Just to be themselves. Which I think is a bit sad, but it seems to the be... Sherlock the Sherlock fandom, fandom is, is aggressive. They're aggressive, they're very intense, 
they're very committed to their views and they mm-hmm. there seems to be and we'll get into it a bit later when we talk about ships um there seems to be some pretty large ship wars um, ship wars yeah we'll get there but so i personally have no opinion on elementary you clearly have no opinion on elementary, but we, we just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge that it exists and it has a fandom and it's yet another modern day interpretation of the classic Sherlock story. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Can we talk about the Are BBC for, for a minute? The BBC. Yeah. Masterpiece. Hi. That is Sherlock. Sherlock. <laughs> oh God. Whew. We love this show, guys. It's so good. We both love how this show. How would you show. not love it? How would you not love I it? I have forgotten how much I loved it because I came to it really late. I started watching it when I moved to London. Uh, so like two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, I started watching it because it was on Netflix and I was like, eh. I think you might have told me to watch it actually. Because didn't didn't a Facebook right. post come up the other day where it was like a memory from like four years ago or something or not four years ago it would have been like two years ago. It was like on this yeah. day, two years ago, I had like posted on your wall and asked you like, "Am I gonna get a crush on, you know, on this detective? I don't know." And you said no. You said he, no. I back then. no like so. My You're initial... like, absolutely not. You're not going to get a crush on Sherlock. And then I was like, 10 minutes later, I have a crush. My initial viewing, I watched it, them all, like binge watched them. And uh, I was like, God, this guy is so annoying. And what is with his face? Like, what is happening? <laughs> and then just nothing about it attracted me to it. Mm-hmm. His face? And then, you know... His face, Benedict Cumberbatch is like a weird looking dude. He absolutely like he, is not he looks classically handsome. Not classically handsome at all. In some some angles, he looks like an otter, a sea otter, and then some angles, he looks like a dapper gentleman that I would allow to butter my toast. Mm-hmm. So what what really got me into the Sherlock fandom and this big crush on the um the great detective was writing benedict cumberbatch fan fiction which i forced you you told me to (laughs) this is a true story i didn't like benedict i didn't know anything about him i thought he looked like a sea otter and the more like i researched him and then went back and watched the sherlock videos i was like oh my god yeah you fell. You fell real hard, fell and I hard. laughed at you a I lot. I have a tendency. But, but what I... You do. You, this is a trend. But, but I had forgotten, because I watched it so long ago, how much I liked it. Um, and so I had watched series one through three, because um, they were all available to me. Um, and then I remember hearing that there was a Christmas special, and hearing that there was a fourth series. Um, but I never got around to watching it because I think it maybe had been so long that I just, you know, I hadn't been sitting and craving it uh, as most fans were. I feel so bad. I think the big thing about this <laughs> fandom is they just have to wait forever for anything to happen. For years. years. Years, literally years. multiple years between seasons. Um, but so in preparing for this episode, I watched the Victorian special and I watched series four and I was like, oh, 
my God, I forgot how much I loved these characters. Loved them. Like all of them. It's it's a really it's so special well show. It's so incredibly it's so well, done. well done. It's well written. It's beautifully filmed. It's incredibly acted. Like it's just they've they've knocked it out of the park. It's perfection. Well, some people Everything. would argue on that. <laughs> a lot of people. A would lot argue of people would argue, especially after the last season. But shall we shall we give a brief introduction? Do you wanna do you wanna talk a little about about the show? Who's in it? What's up with sure, it? Sure, I would love to. Cool, go for it. Tell, tell me a bedtime story. All right, you want to snuggle up there? Yeah, I got my dog sleeping right beside me. Okay. So, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock Holmes. Um, Martin Freeman plays Dr. John Watson. I love Martin Freeman. Side note. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think... I always said Mark Gatiss, but I think it might be Mark Gatiss. Oh, shoot. Um, Mark Gatiss. Um, is that a hard A or a soft A? <laughs> Can somebody tweet us and tell us? We'll correct this on our next episode. All right. So Mark Gatiss uh, plays Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock Holmes's older brother. He's also a writer and creator. He's a, a co-creator um, of the show, yes. Mm-hmm. Rupert Graves, the Silver Fox. <laughs> He plays <laughs> Detective Inspector Lestrade. Yeah, Giles. Oh, my Lord. Um, Una Stubbs plays the incomparable Mrs. Hudson. She's amazing. Who, she, I love her portrayal of Mrs. Hudson. It's so great. She's so great. Louise Braley plays Molly Hooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Scott is Sherlock's nemesis, James Moriarty. Oh, Jim. Yep. Sweet Amanda James. Abington, um, <coughs> who is was in real life um, partners with Martin Freeman. Is it was uh, until they, yeah, they they were they have like a family together. They just separated. Oh, I don't think they were married, no. uh, but they They've got separated. Like two kids together, right? Yeah, right before season four. Ouch! So sad. That's um, really sad. And then Lara Pulver uh, plays. Irene Adler, the woman. Yeah, the woman. The woman. The woman. So you uh, made eye contact with Andrew Scott in the street, which I love. I'm pretty certain, like, you know, time has passed, and now I'm like, did that really happen? But that's a hard face to forget. Mm. He he didn't tell me he was going to burn the heart out of me. He's Mr. (laughs) Sex. Thank goodness. But I was walking to work one morning and just on my usual route, heading towards King's Cross. And uh, I passed this gentleman. He was coming towards me and he looked familiar. And I looked at him and we made eye contact. And it wasn't it was one of those things that happened so quickly. And then uh, like as we passed, I was like, oh, my God, that's Moriarty. And I don't know, like, we made eye contact, and I was like, he was probably like, oh, shit, someone's recognized me. And I was just looking at him like, do I know you? You're kind of cute. <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, oh, shit, it was Moriarty. Um, oh, my Lord, I love Who, I will just say, is my absolute favorite character. Oh, my God, I love him so much. I love him. He's so good. So much. So I was watching some YouTube videos, watching some panels, and um, there was one that I saw with 
Mark Gaddis and uh, Stephen Moffat, the, the co-creators of the show, um, as well as Andrew Scott. And they were talking about the character of Moriarty and how they hadn't really meant for him to really show up very much in the show. They kind of meant to write him as almost like this shadowy figure that was kind of around and leaving cryptic messages, but you never really got to see him full on. Um, but they had to write a scene. So they wrote a scene, just just a random scene, because they had to still audition someone for the role. So they needed to write something for him to audition. And I believe it was the burn the heart out of you scene. And Andrew Scott came in and did such a blistering performance. He blew them away so much that he is he's so incredible. Scary. He's terrifying, but also like charming. Like there's so many yeah. layers to that yeah. character. But they blew he blew them away so much that they wrote him in like they were like, well we have to write that scene in now. <laughs> like that's now in the show right. because it was so mind blowing that they're like, Yep, you're you're in there. And so they featured him more which I think is amazing like good on you there's some acting skills that I just I love that character every one of them is just like a standalone amazing actor and Mm -hmm. does such a great portrayal of their character and then when you get them all together at once it's I think that's, you know, a huge part is the acting prowess in the show is just off the charts. It is. The the BBC, you know, they do some good, they do some good stuff. And I know that they're obviously, um, as we've mentioned, this this fandom is very particular. Uh, There's a lot of people, you know, and, and because the fandom, it also spans so many generations. So there's, there's people that you know, grew up with the stories and are very, very committed to what is canon um, and committed to the storylines that appeared in the original uh, books and stories. Um, and and I know a lot of people, from what I understand, were very disappointed with the last season. There was a bit of a, an outcry about it. People. Yeah, there was the the fandom was split into really yeah. they people either loved it or hated it, and actually the it was kind of embarrassing how much um, like hate mail they tweeted at um, they call um, Moffat and, and Gatus they combine their names to Moftis mm-hmm. and refer to them as one entity. So the <laughs> amount of hate that Moftis got after the season aired, it was kind of little embarrassing to be in the fandom not gonna lie okay we're gonna start getting some hate mail now uh (laughs) i i i personally i mean you are a much bigger sherlockian than i am i wouldn't consider myself a sherlockian i would consider myself a fan of the show i have read some of the short stories leading up to this podcast and i really really loved them but i you know in no way would dub myself a Sherlockian at this point in time um so I went into the final series also being far removed from the first three that I had watched binge watched a couple years back I really enjoyed it but I also it was so good 
I don't, you know, I don't have a, a crazy. You're not in, as invested as crazy is the wrong word, but I don't, you know, I'm not committed to anything happening in any certain way. So I just kind of went along for the ride and I really enjoyed, um, Eurus, I believe, is it the sister? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't seen series four, don't listen. Um, <laughs> I thought she was like, I felt like I, I wasn't, I like screaming at you. Like this whole last season is like a clenched fist. <laughs> I was, it was a, freaking a roller coaster ride. Out. It was intense. Like that last episode was intense. I know a lot of people had feel they didn't, they thought it was kind of a lot of cheap tricks. They thought, um, they were kind of like after cheap thrills with a lot of the kind of stunts the sister was pulling. They didn't like that. It it was a mystery sister that had suddenly come into play. A lot of people were heartbroken at once again, spoiler alert, the scene with Molly and Sherlock that they just really felt like that was cruel, (laughs) which it was. Um, But a lot of people that kind of shipped those two were really absolutely gutted by that scene there was a lot of kind of like you said it was very split um personally I enjoyed it as as an entertaining television show as someone who's not as deeply invested in these characters and in the canon um as others but you know to each his own y'all gotta think that if you look at it as a journey from you know the first season the first episode if you had taken that Sherlock out of that episode and put him into the final episode, he it would it would not have ended well for anybody. He was not capable of completing any of those exercises. And then, mm-hmm. you know, to I think it's just such a beautiful story that the writers have told over all these years, developing very slowly and subtly the character of Sherlock Holmes into, you know, what he was initially, which was kind of, you know, this machine of a man who had no use for anybody into this person at the end who loves his friends and has friends that love him and that he's willing to do anything for and anything to save them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just so well done and so well written and it's just so subtle that you you know you, you could almost miss it mm-hmm. i i agree and it's still like i mean obviously we're talking about the final episode was really very intense but there was still bits of fun you know moriarty pops back in there's there's bits of humor still in it and um there's actually a quote from uh mark gatiss uh mycroft um who basically, you know, him and Stephen Moffat are just huge Sherlockians. They're huge fans of Arthur Conan Doyle's original works. That's why they've created this series. They're, you know, they do love these characters. And, and you know, Mark has said Conan Doyle created these characters that transcend time. So there's something about that show's ability to bring, you know, characters from this Victorian era and turn them into modern day, but either, you know, there's still those, like you said, they still kind of carry over those Nothing same is traits. lost in translation. Yeah, there, and there's something really special lost. about that. Like, 
for Arthur Conan Doyle to have created characters that can transcend time like that is really impressive. And, uh, and Mark said, I have a quote from him here. He said, I think that, I think more than anything, what people have responded to is the fun of the show, which is so much what Doyle's stories were actually like. Um, so he told Al Jazeera America, over, the, over years and years of accumulating various versions in Victoriana, people had slightly lost sight of the fact that they're enormous fun. They're quick reads, they're jolly thrilling, blood-curdling, thrilling adventures, and really that's what we wanted to do. And I do think that they they did that with the, sh- the series. You know, there They've there's a it. lot of intense moments, but there's so much fun. There are so many laugh-out-loud moments with just, you know, the... The relationship between John and Sherlock, the the banter, Mrs. Hudson is amazing. Like every character has their own kind of quirks, and and they all come together, and and it is brilliant. It's fun. It's thrilling. They take you on these crazy journeys, and you're on the edge of your seat, but you're enjoying every minute of it. And I think it's it's just incredibly well done. And it's also a beautiful story of of friendship. I think that's mm-hmm. what speaks to me the most is the the friendship between that grows between everybody between Lestrade and Sherlock and Mm -hmm. Molly and Sherlock and um you know not just John and Sherlock um Stephen Moffat has this amazing quote uh that I snagged from a, a YouTube video uh he was on the red carpet somewhere uh he says it is the best portrait there's ever been of a male friendship and that means it's completely unspoken and there is no affection ever expressed at any point ever they're just blokes who get on instantly and without qualm, and that's it. That's what we all want to have, a friendship like that. It's true. I I love it. And this is actually, um, so just to segue real smoothly into our next kind of topic of conversation, Ooh, this is one of those things work. I, so I read, I read some fan fiction. I have about like 15 tabs open of unfinished fan fictions on my computer but I'm gonna say I read some John Locke and I liked it like oh there there is something about that relationship that is just so brilliant just their dynamic John slash Sherlock this is John John Locke slash Sherlock aka John Locke the 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 interaction between those two is just so awesome it's it's fun to read in in, in any capacity it, you know if it's written true to them if that makes sense you know um and i've read a lot of fic and there is some really great writing in this fandom it's you know it's so clever it really is. it's such a clever show and when when there's a writer that can really capture that and there's so many of them i couldn't believe like stumbling just through fan fictions just randomly clicking stuff like so clever so witty there's some writers that are so so great at capturing the dynamics of these characters and you know obviously clearly they're fans that have have read these things and watched these things and and just some people are really really able to get it and and it it was it's been really fun to read and I I can't wait to finish half the things I've started (laughs) um but I'll I'll go through a couple of ships I mean, this is, we've touched on it in our fan speak episode, and this is such a huge fandom that pretty much any two characters can be or have that been you can shipped. Imagine. 
So I'm not going to list every single one. But we'll list the major the major players and some of the fun ones. So obviously John Locke is huge. Um, so that would be John Watson and Sherlock Holmes. This is a classic pairing. This is something that has been touched upon for many, many years. You know, just the dynamic of that friendship and could it be more. And uh, it is a huge, very passionate group um, of shippers. Um, you've also got uh, Adlock. I believe you referred to it. Uh, you, you shared with me in that uh, fan speak episode. They refer to themselves as the Adlock Yacht. The Adlock Yacht, yes. Because it's so big. Um, uh, that is Irene Adler, the woman, and Sherlock Holmes. So that is, I think those two are probably the two biggest ships. In did the you read any Adlock? <coughs> uh, I didn't. I did not read any Adlock. I did. There's some good Adlock. I'm sure there's so much. I wanted to. I just didn't have time. I've had a very busy few weeks. <laughs> it's all right. You got to see the Foo Fighters. It's all good. I did. It's just, it's been an intense few weeks. I've been finishing one job, which I finished today. Um. And so I do apologize that I didn't get as much done as I would like, but I do have some great excerpts to read. So stay, stay, hang in there. It, it will be worth it. Um, a, a really cool thing about the Adlock uh, shippers mm-hmm. is they have, um, I don't know if this is Fanon. I think it is. I think it would, it could classify as Fanon. So they say that Nero Wolf is the, son of Irene Adler and Sherlock Holmes. So Nero Wolfe um, is a fictional detective created by American author Rex Stout. Okay. Um, and actually this this theory started getting tossed around in 1956 um, by a man named John D. Clark, and he theorized that um, Nero Wolfe was the offspring of an affair between Sherlock Holmes and Irene Adler, suggest- mm. suggesting that the two had had an affair in Montenegro in 1892. So he, Nero, appears in a lot of the Adlock fan fiction w- with, you know, Irene and um, Sherlock are oh, kind of married so it's and like having a, a domestic crossover. life. And, yeah. Think that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what else do we have here? We've got Sherlolly. <laughs> yep, I love Sherlolly. So that is Sherlock and Molly, which is very sweet because we all know how much Molly Hooper. She loves him so much. It's just that unrequited longing. Like, and it's so, like, you know, these characters, you just love all of them so much. It's like, I want, I want all of these ships to be canon in a way, mm-hmm. you know, which is impossible. But, um, there's that. There's uh, Lestrali, which is Lestrade. Oh, I love Lestrali. I love it. Um, and this is actually a favorite of Lestrade himself. So Rupert Aww. Graves has often talked about how he thinks that Greg harbors feelings for Molly. And there is cute. a moment I saw a really funny, cute screen grab of it. Um, there's that episode where, um, oh, sweet Molly, God bless her. So she gets all dressed up for the Christmas party and you know in her heart she's hoping like Sherlock this this is what will make he'll notice me this time. And of course she comes in and you know he he doesn't he doesn't he make some crude remark. He you know, he's Sherlock. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he, he doesn't like, do that. Shames her and yeah, her. he like 
points out that she's like overdone it or whatever. Um, but there's a moment in that in that scene where you see in kind of in the background, um, Lestrade's jaw is basically on the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she walks in and he's like, whoa. So like there there's these little moments where like they've played with these ideas kind of in the show, yeah. which I love. Um, apparently there is uh, Maestrad, which is Mycroft yes, and Lestrade. That is a thing. That is a thing. They're like conspiring together um, in both platonic and other ways. Um, another big one is uh, Shuriarty or Jim Locke. So that is actually Sherlock and Moriarty. And I can totally see that because those characters, they're so matched Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, kind of like psychologically in, in different ways but they're both so hyper intelligent and they're so up for the game that I can I, I didn't get a chance to read any of that but I can see that would be probably really really compelling fic and would make for some very interesting stuff intense I also found some teen lock have you seen this yeah so it's like cute like there's and there's different ships within it, but it's like them all of these characters as teenagers, which I thought was really cute. And there's kid kid lock too, where they're kids kid and they're like playing together. I saw and I don't know if you'll click on this, but do you know the author Rainbow Rowell? We've read her book Fangirl and we love her. Yes. Everyone read that this book. down. It's the best book. Um but she has another book. Did you ever read anything else by her? Yeah. Have you read Eleanor and Park? The one with Yes. Yes. So I saw something today. I didn't read it, but I saw, um, I think it was on Wattpad. Uh, I saw a teen lock fic, and it was a John Locke teen lock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a teen John Locke? I don't know what you would call it. Fic. Um, and it had the cover that looked exactly like Eleanor and Park, like the two <laughs> cartoon backs of their heads wearing headphones, but it was Sherlock and John's head. I can't it right was, now. So cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a million other ones. Uh, I've seen some stuff (laughs) with um, uh, Sherlock and John's sister. One of John's sisters. I've seen, I've been reading this one that I quite liked, or I've started this one that um, seemed kind of cool with Sherlock and Amelia Watson is is the, the pairing. So it's like oh, I think I've read that John's one. Younger yeah, that's sister. like an OFC. Um, yeah, and uh, I've been reading another OFC that I really, really like, which is like called "Staying Alive," which is Sherlock and an OFC. And uh, what is her name? Elizabeth Louise Parker, I think. Um, but she turns out to be this uh, this girl he knew in his childhood, but she had died at some point, um, and she shows up at 221B and the story f- goes between current day him like oh my god you're alive it, it starts like after um, John and Mary's wedding and and it and then it flashes back to childhood so you know Sherlock and Mycroft in childhood and their friend Lizzie this young girl who was just as mischievous and brilliant as them and they would you know try to solve mysteries together and that kind of thing and so it flashes back and forth between the two and it's it's really well written and I'm kind of excited to see where it goes because it's kind of you know unveiling the past slowly while keeping us in the present which is always I think a really cool way to write a fic 
So I did, because you were so kind in our Supernatural episodes to regale me with some some tales or some, some excerpts me? From, fails, from tales. I'm going to read to you. I This is my favorite thing. So I'm going to read you a an excerpt from this incredibly beautiful one shot that I read tonight. Um, and it is from my personal favorite ship, which I have yet to mention. Do you want to know what my, I guess it's my OTP. What is it? In this fandom. <laughs> Moliarty. I love Moliarty. That's so great. Oh my goodness. I The minute I'm I saw so many that that was a ship, I was like, yes. I don't know why. All aboard. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> do, do. yes, I'm getting <laughs> on this ship right now because I love Moriarty and there's something about this uh, sweet, the sweetness and innocence and awkwardness of Molly paired with the absolute demon juxtaposed of Moriarty that I'm just like, oh my God, all the angst, all the emotions. Yes. Like get me in on this. So I've read a couple one shots. I found like a directory. I'm so excited. I can't wait to start reading them all. (laughs) Don't even, don't even start with me. Um, But there's this gorgeous, this kind of this like artistic one shot based on a poem uh, and a musical piece. Like it's, but it's, I cannot tell you, it gave me all the feelings. Like just, it's so beautifully written. It like drips off the page. It's unbelievable and you're gonna link to it on the blog oh yeah i'm gonna link to it on the blog i'm gonna tell everyone in the world about it um (laughs) so it's called dance macabre uh it's on archive of our own uh the author is burning lost stars and i'm just gonna give you a snippet of it so it's kind of it's i don't want to give too much away but it's sort of like a sort of almost a dreamy sequence um Molly is in the morgue working on a body late at night and Moriarty comes to her and it's it's kind of unclear whether it's a dream, whether it's reality. It kind of reveals itself slowly. But I just want to read you a little kind of snippet kind of from the middle of it to give you a taste of how delicious this writing is. It's so good. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll just keep talking about how good it is and not get to it. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Let me take a wee sip of the wine to lubricate my vocal cords. All right. The look drawn on his features is focused. Now, both sides of his face stretched in another creepy all-teeth smile whose light doesn't reach the eyes. How distant are those black pupils, Molly thinks. How cold and lifeless they are when he's not pretending when the curtains are closed and there's no performance to act, no game to play. His other hand brushes Molly's waist, seeking for her pretty little fingers, intertwining them with his own once again. And like they do every other night, Jim Moriarty and Molly Hooper start to dance, slowly, quietly, tiptoeing even, like they're afraid of waking someone up. Their steps keep echoing in the heavy silence of the morgue, one foot in front of the other. Tap, 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 kissing the smooth surface of the floor. 
Molly sighs, begins again to breathe, and leans over Jim's chest, closing her eyes, giving herself to that calm and loose rhythm, following Jim's movements, precise and on time, like an algebraic scheme, a theoretical demonstration, elegant in their perfection. Then comes the music. It invades the room and casts out the silence, sliding through the walls, spreading its flavor in every corner, anywhere. They say delirium is a disease of the night, but how many nights Jim is back here? Molly doesn't even know. She never counts those. They come and they go like air in the lungs, nights like this. And Molly would swear that the dead left unburied on the metal slabs almost sneer in the darkness. She can see their wide-opened mouths maliciously laughing, and those other bodies closed in the cold chambers giggle and slam loudly their arms and feet against the freezing panels, trying to get out to join the dance. Or maybe it could just be a morbid illusion, a sick and twisted game living inside Molly's head, after all. Sometimes she thinks she's going mad, but doesn't tell anyone about it, because the spell would vanish forever, get lost in the sky like specks of dust, like those pastel dreams that fade in the early moments of awakening. She doesn't want to let him go. Not now. Not ever. <sighs> yeah. Jesus. Right? And that's just like a snip. It's a one shot. It's not much longer than that. But there is a beginning and an end on either side of that. So isn't that gorgeous? And that's so just beautiful. like, ugh, that I like I want to write Moliarty. You know, it's just there's so there's so much there. So before we take a break, because <laughs> um, it does look like we're going to have to split this one into two episodes as well. I, do you want to hear some John Locke? I do. So I like John Locke. I think... Not to pun anything, but I think this episode has unlocked <laughs> for me. You know, we we talked, we've both talked about uh, Slash. Slash and how we, we've been confused by it. We've been baffled by it. But I think at the end of the day, if the writing is good and the characters are good, like it's no different than me reading a piece of fiction about a cheerleader falling for a football star. Like I don't, that's not my personal thing but if the characters are well written and well formed and there is a chemistry and there is an energy there then like you fall in love with that whatever it is right. whether it's men and women whether it's men and men women and women you know whether it's canon or not canon like I just did find myself falling in love with the writing and I think at the end of the day that's what's important and maybe what you know just because you know a writer may be a straight female writer doesn't mean she has can't be inspired by a certain chemistry that she picks up on in in two male characters and i think Absolutely. i'm i think i've i think i've got it i feel really good about it, it. i do so this fic is apparently from what i have been told by several people a classic john Locke fic so i think i already asked you if you read it it's called The Progress of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. No, I have not read it. Okay. 
So it's by Ivy Blossom is the author. Um, you can find it on Archive of Our Own. Obviously, we'll link to it in the fan-based blog. Um, but it is a classic John Locke fic. It is, uh, a, from what I understand, one of the most popular fics in that particular ship. And it is so well written. It's awesome. Um, there is angst. There is longing. It's from Sherlock's perspective, and it's so sweet. It's him just trying to come to terms with human emotions that he's not used to feeling. He's such a sweet baby. He's just adorable. And there's acknowledgement from the other side. I don't want to give too much away. I haven't finished it, so I can't give too much away. But, you know, it is acknowledged that there is mutual interest but that basically, you know, John feels that, listen, we could do this, but I don't think you're capable of it. And I don't think it will end well kind of thing. Aww. So they kind of discuss it. They have a moment, a, a brief, the briefest of moments, but like nothing happens. And then they, it kind of touches back into canon where um, uh, John meets Mary and goes off in that direction. The thing I love about this fic is it is so just, it's so like authentically Sherlockian. I don't know how better <laughs> to describe it. It's just written like so well in his voice. It's going to be hard for me to read it and things are in brackets. They're kind of like his thoughts about things. It's just, it's just written so well as almost like a piece of dialogue you could see coming from Sherlock's mind. So I'm going to start uh, with one part where uh, Sherlock is in a taxi. <clears throat> taxi rides without John are familiar, but uncomfortable. Empty seat next to me makes the universe feel oddly canted to the right. The left side is missing in action, awkwardly deleted. A constant reminder of lost. Temporary. I get him back tomorrow. Tomorrow he will sit next to me. The universe will write itself. He will listen to me, tell me I'm amazing and extraordinary, and the dull but persistent ache in my gut will recede. Taxi is moving marginally faster than the top speed the accompanying traffic has mutually agreed upon, significantly over the posted speed limit, but we all know that's merely a suggestion. Acceptable. Arriving sooner is worth the increase in risk to my health and safety. All risks, both minor and major, leaping off rooftops, pursuing gun-wielding criminals down dark alleys, breaking and entering injectables feel significantly more acceptable when John is no longer next to me. Had not noticed the degree to which his mere presence was modulating my behavior. Do I take more risks now because I no longer feel responsible for his safety or because I care less about my own or both? Will I develop a fear of danger on the days when he's with me and foster a dangerously risky lifestyle on the days he's not? Russian roulette. So that's just a, a snippet of uh, the because it's not I mean, I guess it's a dialogue. It's a monologue, really. Uh, it's all in yeah, his head. And you see, he, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, the traffic is moving like this and it's marginally like this. And and it's just like you can hear the character. It's just so well done. Um, it is. It's so good. And, it captures his voice perfectly. Yeah. And it's him, you know, grappling with these human emotions in such a Sherlock way, you know, he's just like, yep. oh, is the reason I care less about my life because John's not with me because, you know, it's just like, he's really trying to reason with it in this, this, figure it he's, out. He's trying to 
put logic to something that's illogical. Yeah, he doesn't like not understanding. Which I love. And it's just like, the, and this is what I assume many John Locke stories might kind of touch on. But but this one in particular, I can see, I could see immediately why it's such a fan favorite. I'm never going to be able to write as good as that. It's just, you know, it's that, and that's, I said it earlier and, you know, I'm, I'm sleepy, so I'm rambling a bit, but, but something about this writer just, just, yeah, the voice is so on. You're so, you're just sucked into it right away as a fan because it is so accurate. It is so the character that you know, um, that you're just, you feel drawn into it so quickly and so like, you're just in love with him the way we are all we are all in love with Sherlock you know right just that that bizarre interesting character attraction yeah um so that's awesome thank you for sharing those were amazing yeah thanks (laughs) sorry I didn't drop you deep into PWP without warning (laughs) I know you would have liked that but we'll save that for yeah apparently I'm the I'm the PWP queen, and you're the beautiful, eloquent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not beautiful or eloquent. I'm just finding the beautiful and eloquent <laughs> in in the world. Um. All right. Well, you can. Is that is that it? Yeah. Okay. So the blog, you can check that out at fandombaselife.com. Uh, where you can find all fandom-based things. Check us out on Twitter at fandom-based-life and on Tumblr, fandom-based-life. Yeah, we got a Facebook page at facebook.com slash fandom-based-life. Um, and if you would like to support us as we are independent, struggling podcasters waking up in the middle of the night <laughs> and podcasting <laughs> with colds and weird equipment, and tents made out of uh, temporary mattresses. Um, <laughs> we have a Patreon. <laughs> um, so if you search Fandom Based Life on Patreon, uh, you can choose if you wish to um, give a monthly donation to the podcast so we can upgrade our equipment, make some merch. We've been talking about merch a lot lately. We're really excited to start doing that. Um, and there'll be special perks, uh, special patron-only uh, blog posts and uh, extras and stuff like that. So check that out. And uh, if you like this podcast, if you want to support us, uh, one of the best things you can do is to rate and review on iTunes. So we would really, really love it and appreciate it if you could take a second to do that and let us know what you think. Uh, we would love your feedback. And uh, it looks like we will be back next week with a part two, <laughs> which seems to be a trend. Yes, these fandoms are too big. That's yeah. That's we started big. We started fandom. big. So, um, so on the next part of this episode, we will talk more about the fandom, uh, about how the fandom feels about being Sherlockian. Um, we'll talk about how the show's creators and the actors have interacted with or feel about the fandom. There's a lot to talk about there. 
Um, and we'll hear more from you guys and your kind of personal fandom stories. So I look forward to that. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And now we're going to sleep. So until next time, keep on living that fandom-based life. Vatican cameo! <laughs> <laughs>